Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good day, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. All right, so today I want to talk about the history of gun control. Also, we just dropped an article out of the Politico. says they are afraid they're buying guns, but they're not voting for Trump. And so I want to kind of mix that in with what's happening. You know, how do we get here today? How do we get where we are in this nation when it comes to Guns, where it comes to politics, and where does the black community stand on that? And no one likes to talk about that, but we're going to talk about it today. Uh, We're going to, you know, I just want to stick to the facts because I educate myself. I've been educated by my great-great-grandparents. I actually had the opportunity to spend time with my great-great-grandfather, my great-great-uncle, where they, you know, educated me on history. And because they were born in the 1800s. And I'm telling you, if you get a chance to talk to your relatives uh, that were, you know, that were born, if you ever got a chance to talk to your relatives born in that time frame, the 1800s, they can tell you some stuff and enlighten you on, you know, where this country was, what was going on in the atmosphere of this country. I kind of want to talk to you guys today about gun control because, you know, if you Google the first gun control law, it's going to tell you a lie. Google's going to lie to you. You know, their job is to, you know, push their narrative. A lot of people are trying to affect this election this year. They're trying to push their ideas and push their way on you. But you got to weed through the truth and what's really going on. So let's talk about gun control, where it all came from. Gun laws are as old as this nation. The first formal gun control law by the European settlers in North America, in the Virginia colony on July 30th, 1619. That's where it came from, the very first law. The first General Assembly of Virginia met in Jamestown, where it deliberated for about five days and enacted a series of measures to govern the fledging colony. Now, among its more than 30 enactments in those few days was a gun control law, which said that no man do sell or give any Indians any piece, shot, or powder, or any other arms offensive or defensive upon pain or being held a traitor to the colony, and of being hanged as soon as the fact is proved without all redemption. It is a death sentence 
for providing Native Americans with firearms and ammunition. You know, if that seems a little draconian to you, well, guess what? The standards of that day, well, it kind of, you know, it kind of signified the fact that the degree of tension and suspicion and confrontation that that actually existed. So basically, it was actually illegal. You were you were put to death if you sold firearms to Indians. That was the very first one. The next one was if you repaired firearms from the indigenous people. You were put to death. You're a hung. Well, the first piece of national gun control legislation was passed in June 26, 1934. That was the first national on the national level, not your individual states. Your individual states did stuff way back in the 1600s. But on the national level, it wasn't until 1934. Well, the National Farms Act, the NFA, part of the President uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt's New Deal for Crime, was meant to curtail gangline crimes of that era, such as the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Now, in 1967, mere months after a group of Black Panthers entered the California state capitol with long guns and holstered sidearms, Governor Ronald Reagan signed a law banning the open carry of firearms. Now, the NRA helped write that legislation. And a lot of people don't like you know, People want to tell you, you know, that the National Rifle Association was formed because they were a civil rights organization and they were formed to help the black community. Well, let me tell you, that is actually a lie. Okay, the, the National Rifle Association was actually formed to help the marksmanship of the colony, uh, the, the people in the north, you know, uh, the Union soldiers actually fight because their marksmanship sucked. So they said, hey, we need to form a rifle association to fix their marksmanship. And that was the purpose of the NRA. And then, you know, let's speed forward to like 1934, where you had the president of the National Rifle Association in 1934 doing a uh, congressional hearing. He said this. I have never believed in the general practice of carrying weapons. I seldom carry one. I do not believe in the general promiscuous toting of guns. I think it should be sharply restricted and only under licenses. Four years later, the NRA backed the Federal Firearms Act of 1938. So even the president of the National Rifle Association didn't like carrying guns, didn't think you should carry one, and matter of fact thought that you should have a license in order to have one. That was in 1934. Now, Ronald Reagan, let's breathe for a little more. We're going to you know, get through this really quick. Then the governor of California, who later became president, but when he was a governor of California, he signed the Mulford Act, which was also called the Panther Bill and is described as a state's bill prohibiting the open carry of loaded firearms, along with an ed addendum prohibiting loaded firearms in the state capitol. Now, any guess who also supported that Mulford Act? Who do you think supported that? The NRA. That's right. So Ronald Reagan, basically what happened was the the back Black Panthers uh, went into the capital of California in the, in the state capital there. They open carry guns because, you know what, that was the law and they had a right to do that. And so in doing so, that triggered something. You know, the governor, Ronald Reagan, said, you know what, we can't let these black guys carry guns. Absolutely not. Can't let them have that power and display that type of power. So what we're going to do? is we're going to ban that. So they came up with the Mulford Act. Uh, the organization fought alongside the government for stricter gun regulations in the 1960s. 
This was part of an effort to keep guns out of the hands of African-Americans as a racial tension in the nation grew. The NRA felt especially threatened by the Black Panthers, whose well-photographed carrying of weapons in public spaces was entirely legal in the states of California, in the state of California. And, the, you know, just so you know, you know, let's speed forward today. The highest overall firearm sales increase comes from black men and women who show a 58.2% increase in purchases during the first six months of 2020 versus the same period last year, 2019. So basically, the bottom line is this, that there has never been a sustained surge in firearm sales quite like what we are in the midst of today. We come back to, from the break. I'm going to have Maj Ture uh, on the show, Black Guns Matter. I'm going to have James McCoy. He's has a, a black uh, gun group in north uh, of part of the country here. We're going to talk with him. going to talk with Maj. going to talk about the election. going to talk about uh, the history of gun control. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Peace. This is Maj Ture. You're listening to Come and Talk It Radio with Michael Cargill. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. Austin's Talk, 1370. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. All right, we're back, and we're talking about the history of gun control. You know, they're afraid. They're buying guns, but they're not voting for Trump necessarily. That's right. Uh, the, the drumbeat of a national crisis is driving first-time gun sales across the country. The buyers aren't who you might expect. As a matter of fact, a large percentage, very large percentage of the people that are buying guns are from the black community. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not. Uh, the highest overall firearm sales increase comes from black men and women who show a 51.2% increase in purchases during the first six months of 2020 versus the same period last year, 2019. So let me bring into the conversation, Monster A, Black Guns Matter. Maj, welcome to Come and Talk It, sir. What's up, Mike? How are you? Thanks uh, for having me. Outstanding. So, man, I tell you, you know, black folks are buying guns. They're buying guns. They're getting training. They're 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 learning, uh, you know, gun safety. They're learning conflict resolution. They're they're getting that Second Amendment right. They're becoming their own first responders. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's. I think we've always had a longstanding tradition with firearms in this nation. I think that um, even if some people have those firearms, so called unlawfully and they're not violating other people i think they've had them you know we've had them for protection um even even you know if you were guys that selling drugs right now we, we we all may have different views on it but some of those guys have those firearms to protect themselves not to rob others so i think we've had a very good history with firearms ownership and we, like you said we've seen in the pandemic or excuse me the government overreach by a so-called pandemic um we're seeing people go to what they know in those times 
and that's not going to new government. They're going to get guns. And now it's a great opportunity for us to make sure that we're expanding the training community and making sure that we're getting that size to maybe even 10 million people um, that are new firearms owners, make sure they're getting trained, especially in those urban demographics. All right. Let me also bring into this conversation um, James McCoy. Uh, James, welcome to Come and Talk, sir. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing pretty good, sir. All right, so James, you know, what's your take on this? You know, blacks are buying guns. They're getting training. They're buying guns. They're learning self-defense. They're learning conflict resolution. You know, what's your thoughts on that? Well, the African-American Second Amendment movement, it began before Donald Trump. But using Donald Trump as the example, um, a lot of people are going out buying firearms first time or first um, gun owners in the African-American community is because of the racism that maybe a man like Donald Trump and his party caters to. Uh, well, you know, all right. Well, let me go back to Maj. You know, Maj, you, you, is it really that Donald Trump is a racist or is it just, you know, there's some people that are supporting him that possibly are racist? Um, I, I don't know what's in a man's heart. I know that the, I go by policies. I pick my uh, politicians, any of them, based on their policies and their past experience. What I do know is a lot of brothers that I know that have elders and uncles that came home from that first step the first time nonviolent drug offenses. I don't think the policy reflects um, racism in that regard. And to be perfectly honest, I don't care. Is it going to be beneficial for my community? Is it going to be detrimental for my community? If it's detrimental, like the 94 crime bill, that sent everybody keeps wanting to say Donald Trump is racist. One, that don't put no money in nobody in her pocket. The other thing is we clearly know that Joe Biden authored policy that locked up more black men than damn near anybody. So with that being the case, um, I, I don't care about his supporters, their supporters. I care about the community that I'm from. And what's happening is my community is waking up, out, you know, outsourcing their defense to the state, agents of the state, law enforcement, what they're doing because they have no obligation to protect you. You know, so the community is buying guns. We just got to make sure that we get them trained. Well, having a gun I, I and then just having it as a state maybe is a whole other thing. All right. So James McCoy, think- James McCoy with the Urban Shop Shooter Gun Club. What you got there, James? I think what we need to look at is the reason why you see all of a sudden so many African-Americans, especially first-time gun owners, who were on the fence about even owning a gun, now going out buying firearms and getting training. Since Donald Trump has been elected to office, we have seen so many things happening to our people that this quote-unquote Black Lives Matter organization has become a movement. And when you see a man like Donald Trump and the people that follow him, people who stand up like Colin Kaepernick and maybe even a LeBron James who will stand up for black people, you see people like Donald Trump and maybe some of these other quote-unquote white gun gun organizations making threats against them. So it has a lot of black people, you know, within the urban community going out buying these guns. We need to look at why people are doing it, not why – what if it's not putting money in my pocket or that's not my politics or you say Biden went back in 94 and made a crime bill. I don't know how old Marge is. and I know he might be from an urban community. But when we look back in that crime bill, we understand that a lot of people were committing crimes with guns, black people, Hispanic people or whatever. And I guarantee you, when we look at that bill, a lot of those people who went to jail probably deserved it. Uh, no. Nah. Uh, nonviolent first-time drug offenses, get out of here. 
The war on drugs is wrong and horrible. Hold on, James. Hold on, James. Let him respond. It's been more, more damage to my black community. If you want to smoke crack, shoot heroin, you know it's stupid. However, there was a ploy to lock black people up for labor, for free slave labor. But Biden offered that. That, 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 that so, that's just what it is. So whether whether somebody hold, wants hold to on, use James, drugs, hold on, James. Let Mars finish. Whether, whether somebody wants to use drugs, the reality is this: the reality, based on numbers, based on math, the reality is Joe Biden had 50 years to get it right. The only thing he's significantly done is lock black people up. I'm not getting caught up about which one of these white dudes that are rich that ain't putting no money in my pocket and ain't serving my community to that same extent. I'm worried about what I'm doing for whatever the people, the people, their decide, decision to go purchase firearms. Maybe it's because, you know, because we didn't have these record-breaking numbers of firearms purchases as we had since February, March. R numbers, not feelings. Numbers. This isn't what, this was within the Donald Trump administration already. No, black people are seeing that the government in general is not there to save them. That's why we're buying guns. You know, people in the hood ain't scared of no Donald Trump. He ain't coming to North Philly trying to lock nobody up. But I show, you, I, I tell you what, though, law enforcement officers that are going to be there, we're seeing George Floyd's, we're seeing all of these other different scenarios, and that's a part of the fear factor that goes into people waking up finally and saying they need to be able to arm and train themselves. My biggest issue is making sure that whatever their reason is, make sure you're getting trained and responsible with your firearms. Not just doing it for one fear move and the racist boogeyman coming to get you or the police going to come kill you and you're not even doing no training. That's my concern. Whether Whichever one of them is in charge, my people still got to do what my people got to do regardless. All right, go ahead, uh, go ahead, James. To, 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 to be a founder of a gun club that's been in the gun game for over 10 years, and as I stated, the African-American Amendment movement didn't start with Donald Trump started with racism. When that white kid went inside that church in South Carolina and assassinated Senator Pinkney and a few other black people, something within black people that has manifested into we are the number one consumer of firearms. And it had nothing to do with fear of the government. It had nothing to do with, okay, I'm just going to wake up and decide to protect myself of watching white people come into churches, white police officers, unarmed black people, or putting their knees on black people next. On TV, you can hear the man saying he can't breathe. That's why people are out in the gun ranges buying guns. It has nothing to do with government. And then if we want to go back and talk about this 94 crime bill, we should talk about the entire bill. We should talk about the Congress. Democrats and Republicans, and you have a group of congressional black caucus who also voted in favor of that bill because we saw back in 94, I was born then, I don't know how you are, Mars, California, Minnesota society, boys in the hood, and colors. When you got people that's going to drive by shooting and to kill each other over. And, and James, make sure, you, make sure you, stand, you stand by the window so we get a good signal from you. That's right. I'm sorry about that, brothers. But when you start seeing the kind of crime that was going on in 1994, which is a reflection of the crime that's going on in Baltimore and Chicago today, 
That's why you saw a crime bill that locked people up for committing crimes. So to put all this on a Joe Biden or to put it on one person had nothing to do with that. It had to do with what was going on. That's just like when they did a I mean, the, the gun laws changed for prohibition. When Giuliani declared war on him, it was the same thing back then, and it needs to happen right now. All right, we we come back from the break. I'm going to let you respond to that, Marge. But I want to remind everyone, you know, that very first gun control law started back in, in 1619, on July 30th, 1619, when in Virginia, they said, you know what? You cannot sell firearms to indigenous people. The next gun control law was you cannot repair a firearm from an indigenous person. And the punishment for that was death. You would be hung. That was the punishment. And then in Texas, you want to come to Texas, you want to find out the first gun control law in Texas? That was free slaves could not have access to guns. Also, around the country, right around, you know, and I can break this down for you. I can I can tell you year by year when all this stuff happened, because back in the 1800s, I'll break it down for you. They actually went into your home. If you were a black person, they went into your home and they confiscate your firearms because you were not allowed to have them. Those were the gun control laws. That's how it all started. Don't forget that. Got to remember history. Don't remember his story. Remember history. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Hey, this is AWR Hawkins, Breitbart News, and you're listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Talk 1370. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back and we're talking about the history of gun control. We're talking about the politics. We're talking about, you know what? They're afraid. They're buying guns, but they're not voting for Trump. The history of gun control. We're talking about this election. We're talking about should the black community... Does the black community owe the Democrat Party their vote? You know, why should the Democrat Party, you know, why expect, you know, the black community to vote for them? You know, what have what has the Democratic Party done for the black community? Maj Ture. So, one, I don't care who anybody votes for. I, I care that you become politically involved. Um, I, I care that you become aware of the entire political process, not just voting one of two masters, completely unaware that there's a black woman running as a candidate for president, you know, and on a federal level. So I just wanted to toss that out there. But bigger than that, the Democratic Party has absolutely done nothing for uh, the black community. I'll give you, uh, you know, in Baltimore, where James is from right now, we got a class over there in November the 7th. You know, Baltimore is in a state of disarray. Philadelphia, where I'm from, which is democratically ran for a very long time. These are the areas where black guns matter. We've had to go and concentrate our efforts on crime reduction, on nonviolent, excuse me, on uh, conflict resolution, on basic firearm safety. So all of those things go in alignment. When you Now, does that mean the Republicans are the savior for black people? Absolutely not. But when you're talking about history, when you're talking about Republicans being the party that people like Frederick Douglass, all of these great men and women 
or a part of, that is historic. That's the fact. I want to go back a, a bit. That 94 crime bill that we talked about before the break, most of, you know, James said something in regards to, um, you know, there was a lot of crime going on, violent crime. That's not what most of the people were arrested for in those crime bills that Joe Biden authored. He wrote it. He co-authored it, right? Most of those men were separated from their families. We want to talk about immigration and all of that, separating the families. Most of those men and women were separated from, them fa- from their families under that bill for nonviolent drug offenses. And the key word, key phrase, nonviolent, okay? The Democrat, that's the Democrat plan, okay? The reality is that's a slick way of introducing slavery to a community. That's that 13th Amendment vibe. Uh, Michelle Alexander wrote a great book called The New Jim Crow that addresses that a whole lot. So, no, the black community has to start thinking more independently. The black community has to be very critical. President Trump and this administration have done some solid things. And I hear about, you know, the, the platinum plan, but that money got to get right. So we need to make sure that we pressure in that. No, no, no. We got to stop waiting on anyone to come save us. That's the reality. So going back into gun, uh, excuse me, gun ownership, new gun ownership in the black community again. If it's out of fear, because we're not a monolithic group of people, if it's out, out of fear of Trump and his administration are racist, if it's, hey, the government shut me that, you know, the police are not going to come save you, if that's your reason for purchasing firearms, I do not care. I care that you're a part of the gun community. Now you have a responsibility that goes along with your rights to be informed and to know how to use that firearm properly, to secure that firearm properly so we not adding to, you know, gun control's argument of people that buy guns, they, they get shot in their own house by their gun. We have to make sure that we're doing that. Someone's individual reasons are their individual choices, and I'm not going to condemn or criticize or champion them for it. What our job is as members of the gun community, especially in the black community, is to make sure that we're there to service that community. And the Democratic Party has overwhelmingly supported the racist practice of gun control in America more than any other political party. So for those reasons all said, absolutely not does the black community, uh, uh, does the Democratic Party deserve, nor uh, should they expect the black vote. James McCoy, Urban Sharpshooters. Okay, being a firearm historian, and I, I appreciate what Mars says, Brotherhood hit on some, like, key points. But I think what, what our failure is, we don't really understand our history. And as what you said, Michael, you said we have been taught his story. Back in 1968, you had a group of individuals called the Black Panthers, the original Black Panthers, Huey P. Newton and Bobby Seale. And they decided to study California state law and armed and whole community of African-Americans to defend themselves against the racism that they were receiving, not just from the police, but from the white community at large. As a result, Congress decided to get with the NRA, and they created something called the Panther, the Panther Act before it was known as the Mufford Act. But the Black Panthers decided to go armed to Sacramento, California, which is their state capital, to protest this act that would disarm African Americans a law that was designed and drafted and written by the NRA to take away firearms from African-Americans. So when I hear Marge say things like the Democratic Party has done more to hurt African-American gun ownership, 
for some reason within the gun community, we look past this man, Ronald Reagan, and we look past the month of that. Nobody wants to talk about that. That's a modern time where a lot of people, not 1868 when Frederick Douglass was alive, but with a man, Bobby Steele, who we could find on social media, could tell you the effects of being disarmed in a country where gun ownership is your constitutional right. Now, moving forward, we want to say, what has the Democratic Party done for African Americans? Let's go back in the 60s when this thing called the Civil Rights Bills was passed, signed into law by a Democrat that ended, that ended segregation, called integration, created a more even fair playing field. Fast forward a little bit and talk about the first Supreme Court justice, and his name was Thurgood Marsh. Fast forward a little bit and look in most of your urban African-American cities because of white fight after 1968 when black men and women learned the political process and got out and voted and became the first black mayors, the first black police chiefs, the first black council people in a majority black-controlled city. Now let's put again into the crack era. Maxine Waters, she did a, a program with a gentleman by the name of Freeway Rick Ross that everybody knows as this big-time drug dealer. And it talked about how crack cocaine and illegal guns was placed in urban African-American communities and allowed the folks of this government, who was, in, who was in charge at that time, were they Democrats or Republicans? So we can look and see the dirty tricks that's been played where at one time the Southern Democrats, we know them as Dixiecrats, were pro-segregation and was against our advancement. And then we can look at how the party switched, where in 2020, the, the same areas in the South that was once controlled by these Democrats, now red-hot, red Republicans. All right, well, I think we lost James there for a second. Let me go back to Maj Ture, Black yeah. Guns Matter. Yeah, the reality is, I'm a libertarian that has strong conservative values. I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. I'm an independent thinker that picks up on policy. Again, when we're talking about those things and those scenarios, I'm not, I'm not, I don't trust government at all. I'm a limited government person. Any free-thinking, independent person is, should rightfully do so. If you're having a conversation about, uh, I don't think that Reagan was a great president. No, I don't think he was. I think he was, you know, the same guy that said Americans shouldn't have machine guns. That's the Ronald Reagan that I'm aware of, okay? The Mulford Act and the Panther Act and all of those different things, absolutely. When it comes to racism in America towards black people, we're not limited to, right? People tend to get very, like, nonpartisan or bipartisan when it comes to socialism in America currently, right? $3 trillion, the largest wealth transfer in American history. That was the left and the right that got behind that. Okay, so I'm not foolish enough to think that, you know, oh, because somebody's Republican, they're going to be the savior. When we're talking specifically currently and talking about the two options that are presented right now in the form of Donald Trump, Joe Biden. Joe Biden has 47, 48 years of time in public office. Joe Biden has been supported, supportive of Literally, Klan's members. He gave the eulogy at Bird Spot. My point is, 
there's a clear historical pattern of what this person's policies, actions, and deeds have been. When you're talking about President Trump, during his political time in office, which is at this point four years, I can say he's been solid on cutting red tape, restructuring economies, and then, uh, uh, but I think he's been not as hard as we need him to be on the Second Amendment. I'm just objective. You know, I don't care about the number or the letter in front of your name. I don't care. I care about my primary community where I happen to live. If I'm moving to a white community, that, that'll change. But currently, I live in a black community. Currently, by and large, democratic processes, right? Democrats, Southern Dixie, all of that other good stuff, right? Those policies have been very anti-gun. Period. That's not an argument. Can we have isolated incidents where I can pick out a Republican that was racist? Yes. It's not actually it's not isolated because the reality is the form of gun control, the concept of it is very, very racist. Period. All gun control is racist. So neither one of these parties for me, when we're talking about an individual, I have to look at their individual acts and policies. I can say Trump administration has sent people that I know personally, Angela Stanton King, running for Congress down in District 5 in Atlanta, right? About to take John Lewis's old seat. Angela Stanton King got a presidential pardon from the, uh, this current administration, President Trump, for nonviolent drug offenses. This is the same type of stuff that, put, that Biden authored to send her to jail. Those are those policies. She's out of jail. Mr. Charles came home from jail. The brother that just got released last week. These are things because of policy in the First Step Act. Me as a libertarian, I cannot say that there's libertarian candidates that have done that. Libertarians haven't even gotten elected nationally in that regard. So I would love to say, oh, it was a libertarian that did that. That's not the case. The, the reality is, the reality regardless of how people's level of Trump derangement syndrome or Trump like can do no wrong. The reality is the current administration is sending nonviolent black men and women home. I am never going to ignore that. I am never going to ignore it. I think that this administration needs to tighten up on the second amendment. We've got more uh, federal restrictions on firearms under president Trump than we had in Obama in two terms. He needs to fix that. He's wrong there. And I, I love and this. So I love this conversation. I like where it's going. We're going to continue on on the break there. But I want to make sure I remind everybody, you know, we're having a conversation about this election. We're talking about where should this vote go as far as the black community. I like the fact that we're not talking about who has the best master. I like that. The truth shall set you free. If not, I have a Smith and Wesson that will free you permanently. This is Michael Cargill and you are listening to Come and Talking. This is Coley on Noir, and you're listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Talk 1370, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It, and now here's Michael Cargill. Why you, you live here? No, but why did you just come open the door like that? Because yeah. I live next door. Okay. Because you saw black people? A white couple next door barges into a black renter's Airbnb and questions his occupancy in the now viral video. 
All right, so you take a look at this video. This 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 guy was actually he rented an Airbnb, and all of a sudden the couple who were neighbors just walked into the Airbnb. And I like to I want to start playing this video in our lice to carry handgun course because you know someone actually brought this to my attention. They asked me, you know, Michael, in a situation like this. You know, can I use force or deadly force? Am I justified under the castle doctrine to defend myself, you know, in this situation here? And actually, the, the castle doctrine, like if this happened in Texas, the Texas castle doctrine says that if someone unlawfully enters your home, it doesn't have to be your home, uh, you know, it can be the place that you're staying for the night, your hotel room, whatever it is, they enter unlawfully, you can use force or deadly force to stop them. So my, my answer to this is yes, you would be justified using force or deadly force to stop them and kick them right outside the house because uh, they don't have a right. What makes these people think they have a right to walk into your Airbnb and question you on whether or not you live there or not? Did those two people get charged with trespassing? Not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, but some charges definitely should have been, you know, something should have happened. The police should have been called. I called the police immediately. If, if I'm in this situation, here's what I'm going to do. Definitely going to call the police, and I'm going to insist that they be issued a trespassing and also since they walked into the house i consider that burglary i'm looking at the, i'm i'm going to the well, DA. breaking I'm, and I'm, entering i'm pushing burglary charges you're pushing burglary oh charges. absolutely because they enter unlawfully you know because you entered the home and then you you know absolutely well, what's, what's the difference between breaking and entering and burglary well in texas it's burglary if you enter you know anything that protrudes from your body sticks to the door of the window that's considered burglary and you can use force or deadly force to stop that person if someone's, if you're inside your home, someone enters unlawfully, you can use force or deadly force to stop them. So, and let's go back to the history of gun control. Do you know that in 1712, in 1712 in Virginia, do you know that Negroes were not allowed to fight the government? That's right. There was a, an act that was enacted. It said an act for preventing Negroes insurrections. You are not allowed to fight the government. If you Google gun control, do you know what you, you know what comes up if you Google gun control? It comes up, it says this. The first piece of national gun control legislation was passed on June 26, 1934, and that was the National Firearms Act, the NFA. Well, that is a lie. Do you know the, the very first gun control law was actually 1792 in the United States where blacks were excluded from the militia? That's right. If you were black, you were not allowed to participate in the military of the militia at all. Were you allowed to own a firearm? You couldn't. No. No. Not at all. You were not allowed to have firearms. You were not allowed to participate in the militia in 1792. They lied to you. You got to learn history, not his story, not Google. You got to learn history. You got to read a book. Don't let them control you. Don't let them tell you what history is all about. You need to learn it. Read it out of a book. Don't necessarily get it from online. Let's go back to Maj Ture, Black Guns Matter. Maj. Yeah, uh, that, that, that history in regards to um, the very racist roots of gun control is absolutely real. I mean, you got spots all over the place. You got North Carolina that literally amended their their state constitution, with, which initially said, you know, all men were part of the militia. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. And uh, were fire, you know, cool to be firearm owners. They literally went back and added all white men. You know, so we're not. This isn't, you know, to, to James's point earlier. This isn't something that's been like, oh, only one side has been doing it. No, like this, that, that racist is, is a lot of people that call a lot of things racist nowadays. And a lot of it's just missed the mark for me. But certain things are actually racist. Gun control in America, stopping someone. How, how ironic is that? You say that this is a human right, natural right. It's codified in 
the Bill of Rights, to, you know, the framework of this nation. Then you turn around and say, oh, but except for black people. There's nothing more racist than that, period. You know, to tell someone you do, should not have the means to defend your life from tyrants, from over-encroaching government, from just other bad guys, you know, or bad guys in general. To say that is the, the most damning and, and dismissive, you know, statement because it's almost as if you're saying directly, hey, we don't want you to have the means to stay alive if need be, you know. And so that's really what that, that is. And I make no mistake about that. You know, um, has it by and large been Democrat policy? Absolutely it has. But it's not limited to it. It's not limited to it at all. You know, um, and, and we got to make sure that we're remembering that and, and aware of it. Racism excuse me, gun control, the, op, the, the, the act of gun control uh, is older actually than America. You know, French colony, the, the black codes, all of those different things. You know, the first federal gun grab, wounded knee, you know, turning your guns, natives to this land. And it was a massacre. They killed them, they murdered them. You know, so I think it's very important that we look at it from that perspective. So when you have communities that are impacted by um, you know, joblessness or crime or things of that nature, they also try to use that as the guise to justify why you shouldn't have the means to defend yourself. And that's another reason why it's very important for us. One, we're having so many um, African-American new firearms owners that we're servicing them and giving them this political education as well as, excuse me, a historical education. So people, we, we put it very much so in perspective. You know, anyone... Excuse me. Anyone that is in essence telling you, we don't want you to have the I'm means to, get, to protect to your, your life. I'm about to get your Rona shot wrong. there in a minute. Yeah, yeah. I need, I need them ginger shots. I, I ain't taking that. Uh, I ain't taking that vaccine. That's, that's not happening. They, they dying over in Brazil taking that joint. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but yeah, yeah, man. It's just um, government is forced. You know, James earlier said, you know, it's not about the government. Yes, it is. All, all, all slavery was sanctioned by government. All of it. It, otherwise, it would have been okay for people to fight back, but it was against the law for you to fight back. That was sanctioned by government. Government is not okay. That's why the founding fathers wanted very, very limited government. All right, very so limited government. Before before I go back to uh, to James, you know, I want to mention the fact that the self-subscribed member of Boogaloo Boys has been charged with the riot. The United States Attorney Erica. Uh, McDonald today uh, announced, and this was actually on Friday, a federal g criminal complaint against Ivan Harrison Hunter, 26, charging him with participating in the riot. Hunter, who was arrested on October 21st, 2020 in San Antonio, Texas, made his initial appearance yesterday before the magistrate judge Henry um, in the U.S. District Court in San Antonio, Texas. So according to the allegations in the criminal complaint and law enforcement affidavit in late May 2020, the FBI initiated an investigation into members of the Boogaloo Boys based on information that members were discussing committing crimes of violence and were maintaining an armed presence on the streets of Minneapolis during civil unrest following the death of George Floyd. Now, I want to bring into the conversation, you know, my resident uh, Boogaloo Boys self-proclaimed there, Derek. Derek, come on in here and get some of this. Well, uh, to Maj's point earlier about the war on drugs, uh, the, the people in the black community have always been victims of over-policing. And whenever you bring in things like the Gun Control Act of 68, where it establishes prohibited persons, particularly if anybody has been convicted of a felony, which during this time, the, the, absolute, the, the lists of 
felonious crimes grew exponentially. Uh, that, while not official, was definitely a a means of pushing the more racist aspects and undertones of, of gun control whenever it came to that aspect. As far as this, this is uh, the story that you were just talking about. This is simply the, the state ensuring that they maintain their relationship their relationship as masters to us peasants um majid said earlier that essentially that the state is slavery and it is uh anytime any entity has more of a say over your life your property the fruits of your labor and that of your children uh they have established themselves as master over you which puts you as their slave so uh that's kind of my two cents over the over the whole thing Okay, and let's go back to James. Uh, what you what you got on this, uh, James? Urban Shopshire Gun Club. Maj, she knows me for a while. It's something that I've always thought. And make sure you stand by the window too. Hey James. Hey James. See if you see, yeah. see if you stand by a window or something. Can you hear me now? Am I coming in any better now? There you go. All right. So something that I do. And urban sharpshooters as being the founders teach a different history of gun control, even to like the the non-black people who come around and have fellowship with us. 1968, the Mumford Act, which was called the Panther Act before they called it the Mumford Act, was probably the most racist piece of legislation that we have seen as African Americans in this modern era as far as gun control, because it specifically targeted a group of African-Americans who was using the Second Amendment for their personal defense. Which was written you by, written by which, was, which was by uh, Ronald Reagan, who was the governor, and it was backed by the well, National Rifle Association. Ronald Reagan, who was a Republican, and for whatever reason, when the conversation of gun control comes up, you always hear, it's the Democrat. You never hear nothing that Ronald Reagan did about gun control. And reverse the tape a little bit and go to Mr. Nixon. Richard Nixon, you can go on radio or internet so right now and hear him saying that he would take guns away from every american fast forward to mr donald trump and this is why i say most republicans are hypocrites that are gun owners because all right we come back i'm gonna let you finish that james we come back from the break we're talking about gun control they're afraid they're buying guns but they're not voting for trump we're talking about the history of gun control we're talking about this election where should a black community vote this is michael cargill and you are listening to come and talk it This is Brittany Blaze, and I get my global gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so I want to make sure, you know, we're being truthful, we're being honest here about the Mulford Act. Because the Mulford Act, you know, I want to give you some history, some 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 backup on that. Who actually wrote the bill? Who sponsored the bill? Who was actually controlling the House when this bill was actually passed in California? Yes. Yeah, so the Mulford Act was introduced by Don Mulford, who was a Republican from Oakland. Uh, it was also co-sponsored by two Republicans and three Democrats. And uh, you know, when you introduce a bill, it has to be uh, voted on. And requires a two-third majority in each house, and uh, did pass the assembly 
which was controlled by Democrats 42 to 38 at the time. So it passed there. It also passed the Senate, which was controlled by Democrats. Um, yeah, so it wasn't just some Republican bill voted on by Republicans. This was actually passed by majority Democrats. Okay. All right, let's go back to James, James McCoy. I, I love what you put out there because when we look at Joe Biden and we look at that 94 crime bill, we could use the same analysis, but people tend to not want to do that. But the difference in the Muffet Act, again, the sponsor was, quote, unquote, a Republican, and you had a Republican governor who on that day saw these armed black people, and I think he saw Jesus. Because when you look at Ronald Reagan's history, as far as gun control, he should be the godfather of it. Of it. He and James, uh, James uh, Brady, where we get the Brady Bill from. Conversation. And st- stand by, and make sure you stand by, stand by the window there because we're losing you a little bit. You know, because both oh, and both sorry, sides, brother. both sides are going to be responsible for this. I want to make sure you know we're not cherry picking. You know, Republican, Democrat, because they're both responsible for the mo for that. Republican they and Democrat. Are, but but the but the issue that I've always said was that nobody ever hears about what the Republicans do when it comes to gun control. Case in point, we're going to use Donald Trump. If President Obama at the time would have said he was going to ban a bullet, let alone a bump stock. The firearms community would have went crazy, and America probably would have burned. But it just seems to me that when a Republican will pass gun control, other other Republicans have no issue with it. All right, let's take a look at the the Brady Bill, the crime bill. Take a look at that. So, yeah, crime bill 94, um, there were... 188 yes votes from Democrats and 46 yes votes from Republicans. So that was mostly Democrats that actually backed that bill. And it's important you know, you know, when it comes to gun control, which is actually racist, every every gun control bill, every gun control law that actually has started in this country back in the 1600s was actually targeting the black community. Every single law, no matter what state you're in, no matter where you live, what territory, it was all about the uh, the black community. And so these bills, you know, I don't care how far you go back, majority of them were backed more so by the Democratic Party, the Republican Party. But I don't want to get into I don't want to get into the thing of saying, you know, who has the best master, because b- personally, bo- they both suck. Yeah, the Brady bill also had 47 yes votes from Democrats and 16 yes votes from Republicans. Right. Uh, hey, Maj. These are the things that I'm talking about. I think that the, the, the duopoly is very smart, or I'll, I'll take it a step beyond a duopoly. I'll say the very, very wealthy, very um, powerful, full of resources, people that want to keep the American people fighting about the duopoly, they're very crafty. They control media outlets. You know, pretty soon Fox is leaning more and more left. Pretty soon it'll be, you know, the conversation is that way. And these type of dialogues are very necessary. Both sides need to be held, feet need to be held to the fire. The reality is, it's our fault, actually. It's our fault for our apathy. It's our fault for not being involved in the political process. It's our fault for not knowing simple things as, okay, how does a bill become a law? Someone proposes it, someone drafts it up, guys got to get on board with it, but then the House or who's one of those majorities is going to, you know, push it over the top to turn it into law. With these things being the case, again, to your point, Mike, they both suck. 
because the American people have allowed them to suck. Aren't putting workhorses, strong men and women from the community to get involved in politics locally, to get involved on the state level, to get involved on the national level. We've allowed it to make to make this big conversation about, you know, um, man, how many Supreme Court seats can we get? We're locked on what, who's, is RBG dead? To determine the, the, the direction of our nation when we actually have a foundation. We actually, with the contradictions that exist in it. On one hand, you say, all men are created equal, but in the same time, slavery was a serious thing. So there's a contradiction there. However, fast forward a bit. Right now, we have the framework. And in that framework, we have allowed our elected officials to run rampant. We have allowed it to get to this point where we're like, maybe we got to like hold on to this one particular guy staying in office on a national level because maybe he'll sack the deck in Supreme Court cases. But how many of us are going to fight Supreme Court cases or gun cases or Second Amendment cases all the way up to the, to the you know, National Supreme Court. Supreme Court hasn't seen a case on the Second Amendment since, I think, Heller versus D.C., with maybe uh, uh, Ms. Rhonda Ezell, close, a close runner-up for second. Shouts to her. But my point in saying that is we've allowed it to get to this point that that's, what, that's, that's the Hail Mary pass that we're waiting on. And regardless of whether the Democrats were better at it, at racism, which they were policy-wise, whether the Republicans are more covert about their racism or allowing, you know, their racism to bubble up around black people being armed, which has happened. The reality is we as Americans have allowed this to transpire with all of this information that we're talking about in the show today, right? We're being very objective. James isn't getting up here saying, hey, the Democrats are perfect. I'm not getting up here saying the libertarians are perfect. Republicans are perfect. We go, nah, nah, nah. When it, as it comes to the Second Amendment, all of them equally suck. I even got a, a bigger gripe to pick because I can't even get a quality libertarian candidate in the position. Mm, so that's what I was going to ask. Good. That was what, that's what I was going to ask. I mean, who, what, what politician or potential nomin, uh, uh, person running for office would be someone who would represent the 2A community and the Second Amendment and gun rights well? She's running for for president right now. Her name's Joe, Joe Jorgensen. Jorgensen. Yeah, she right. is literally. She has a master's in business and other degrees in psychology. She is super pro Second Amendment. Now, there's things that obviously I'm going to disagree with her on on some issues. I don't have to take you know take the group think when in regards to uh, you know immigration that some of my libertarian brothers and sisters you know have. I'm a libertarian with some some conservative values. That's just what it is. With that being the case, she's better than every – her policy, her positions on the Second Amendment are better than President Trump's, are better, clearly better than Joe Biden, right? Yeah. This is what it is, and that's, that's not me trying to swing a vote or whatever. I don't think right now – libertarians, we, we have valid access in all over the 50 states. We're the only third other party out of the duopoly that has that. I think people should look into it. Now, are you going to get – I think this is where sexism comes up. Are you going to get a bunch of, you know, guys that will may, may get behind a, a, a mad dog Mattis per se? Are they going to follow the commander in chief? That's not a killer like Hillary Clinton was, you know? Um, I don't know if guys will do that. That's where, that's where we'll highlight the conversation about sexism. But then we got to also look at the question of where are all of these I'm with her people, feminists? There's a yeah, woman where are they right at? there. Yeah. There, she's right there. Every single one of those votes, if it was just we're tired of old white men. 
here's a not. And then they're gonna go vote for an old white man, the the kid, the kid sniffer. There's a there's a black woman running as an independent for president. So my point here is the objectivity that's happening in this conversation is what's needed to be uh, extrapolated and scalable for the rest of the nation. And what? Sorry, sorry. Jade Simmons is her name. Okay. All right. I Jade that Simmons. And, uh, you know, she's got a really good platform. She isn't as pro-gun as I would like her to be. She isn't, you know. But so when you ask me about a candidate on the Second Amendment, oh, Jorgensen all, all day, every day. Well, here's, here's my know? thing. Here's my thing. Because I've looked into Jorgensen. I like, I like what her stance is on the Second Amendment. But how do you know that she can't be bought or... Once she gets in there, how do you know she's not going to, you know, actually, how, how's she actually going to get anything done if we have the entire House and Senate are full of Democrats and Republicans? I think the beautiful thing about it is there's not the same level of infighting with libertarians. The Democrats and the Republicans have been the duopoly for so long. It's a gang mentality over there right now. Red and blue, crip and blood. It's the same thing. But then when you got neutral, neutral grounds of people, no, there's Democrats and Republicans generally outside of media pretty much are going to accept and accept that, you know, Ron Paul or Rand Paul are smart. Like there's, there's no denying that these guys, especially, you know, his father are in a space where you, you, you almost got to like be a jerk and not like listen to some of the logic. I think this creates a great opportunity for libertarians because we have not been in that muck and mire of D.C. politics because, because we, for the most part, have not been successful there. So the reason why a bunch of people like me with Black Guns Matter is because everybody knows when I came into the gun community doing this work, I didn't have any established relationships with it. I didn't know who didn't know who. So if you saw me chopping it up with somebody, it's not because I was picking them over you. You knew that Maj is like Switzerland. He's like neutral. Everybody likes Maj. Maj gets along with everybody until you do something to Maj, right? Jorgensen creates that potential for opportunity for us as Americans. She may be able to get stuff done because nobody knows her enough to hate her yet. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so the other part is, can she get bought? Absolutely. You know, I can get bought. You can get bought. I've, I've said repeatedly, if the deep state comes and says, hey, Maj, we want you to shut up, we would prefer not having to kill you or your family. Give me $100 million and I'll stop talking. Now, does that mean that I'm going to start going against my people? Absolutely not. But I'm going to just start building stuff and being quiet. Now, what, why do I say this? Then when that happens, if I start saying anything that's anti-gun, y'all are supposed to call me out. Y'all are supposed to go, Maj, what are you on? You're stupid. That's retarded. Oh, we get it. You got both for the black and white Bentleys now. So Maj has been compromised. That's what you're supposed to do when someone is not uh, doing what they said they were going to do as a public servant. To James's point, yes, everybody's super quiet when President Trump says things like, take the guns first, due process later. That is the most dangerous type of statement from a public servant that I've heard of in a very long time. And I'm not going to let him slide just because, you know. He, he's, you know, he, he, did, he did the first step act. Right. I'm not going to let that part slide. And a lot of people, a lot of people are giving him that pass. And I, and I agree with you 100%. You got to remember in 1825, when blacks guns were confiscated, where were you then? In 1833, 
Blacks' guns were confiscated. Where were you then? In 1792, when Blacks could not join the military, the militia, where were you then? In 1847, once again, Blacks' guns were confiscated. Where were you then? This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talkin'. Folks, this is Doug Man Jones. <laughs> and I get my gun news from Michael Cargill at Come and Talkin'. Talk 13-7, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. They don't think you're stupid. They know you're stupid. Back in 1994, Bill Clinton tried to pass a bill, H.R. 3838, in 1994 to ban guns in federal public housing because he didn't want the poor citizens to be able to own guns in public housing. Go ahead. Who was who who was talking last? Is it James? James. Yeah, man. Control. You know, it, it should be looked at not from, you know, one political party or another political party. It has to be looked at from the beginning to the end. It's just like this ugly thing called racism. And too often when I look at the African American gun owner, and notice I say African American gun owner, we're treated so different from gun owners in large that Marge had to go out and make black guns matter. James McCoy had to go out and create a gun club called urban sharpshooters that would address the concerns and needs of the African-American gun community or African-American community. And when we're looking at how African-Americans have to abide by the rules within the areas that we live in, we notice that, if I go out to where, quote-unquote, white people live at, the gun laws are so much more lax and free. But as I get back to an area where black people are the majority, I find that the gun laws are very strict if I can even own firearms at all. So we have to go back to the root cause of that. Maj, he hit it on the head a long time ago. He said all gun control is racist. But where I saw the games being played within the gun community is that the gun community won't accept responsibility for its own racism that it creates. All right, so let me change. Let's change gears real quick a little bit. Let's talk about law enforcement. Let's talk about the cries for police accountability. I want to talk about the fact that we don't have a we don't have a system set up so that we can you know we have someone who can say, hey, this police officer did something wrong. Let's push to prosecute. You know, an individual agent, independent agency, you know, can't do that. They actually investigate themselves, clear themselves of any wrongdoing. And the whole system is designed to protect law enforcement. So I want to talk about that. You know, what's the fix to that? You know, because people are upset about, you know, police accountability. When a law enforcement officer does something wrong, there's no accountability there. And they're not even held to a greater. They're not held to a regular standard, let alone a greater standard. You know, as a licensed, as a handgun holder who has a license, you're held to a much higher standard when it comes to alcohol. As a commercial driver, you're held to a much higher standard because, you know, as it pertains to alcohol and driving even your personal vehicle. So why is it not, why, why, why is it that law enforcement are not held to that high standard because they're police officers? They're the pillar of our community. 
Maj? Because, again, going back to government, government, everything that the government does is by use of the threat of force. That's it. There's no, that's why they have foot soldiers. That's their shooters, law enforcement officers. The word force is in it, law enforcement officers. That's not freedom, right? With there being over 20,000 uh, on a state and national level, over 20,000 uh, anti-gun unconstitutional statutes on the books, law enforcement officers by any officer that enforces those are in essence in the violation of their own oath to the Constitution. But if I'm a politician and if I want to militarize, I have a private police force instead of sheriffs and deputies and all that other good stuff, we highlight them as this champion job. Now, if foray officers, I have many friends and family members that are law enforcement officers. If you're putting on that uniform to catch robbers, rapists, and unjustified killers, like criminals with crimes that create actual victims, I salute you. If you're putting that uniform on to um, pull somebody over because you want to say that they had a taillight, that you can do revenue generation for the state, I do not respect that. So when we're saying why aren't law enforcement officers held to the same standard, it's because over time we've allowed public servants, i.e. politicians, to utilize force, shooters, right, mercenaries, to do their bidding in generating revenue for the state and keeping the people in line. So much so that if you even make that type of statement when you say, no, I think law enforcement officers should only be chasing crimes with actual victims. They should not be uh, road pirates for the state. When you say that, people kind of squinch up. They go like, you don't respect law enforcement? I don't respect the laws. So why would I respect someone that's there physically with a gun to potentially force me to do something that I don't agree with? All right, hey, Derek, let's go to Derek. I mean, he's absolutely right. The state has, by definition, a monopoly on force and violence. Uh, they will. There is no law too trivial that they will not m kill you in order to enforce. Uh, I mean, there's no bones about it. All of these people that are saying cops will never enforce a gun confiscation, it, I challenge you right now. Go ahead and start ma manufacturing machine guns out of your uh, garage and uh, invite your local sheriff over to take a look. He will absolutely arrest you and throw you in a cage. And if you resist that attempted kidnapping, he will use force and possibly deadly force. Why? Because how dare you dr uh, drill a third pinhole and mill out a fire control uh, fire control group on a uh, on a billet? It, it, that's that is what it all boils down to. All right. And, and this is why you do not go ahead. Good. And James, can you give me something in closing there, like uh, about 30 seconds? I, I'm, a, I'm a little different on this one. I, I look at the Constitution as a living document, and I look at laws as just what they are. They're words on a piece of paper. Some I agree with, some I don't. But laws, and if we don't like them, it's our constitutional right to have them amended or changed. All right. And Maj, give me something there in closing in 30 seconds. Yeah, I just think that this is a healthy conversation that needs to happen. I want more people to challenge their own theories or conditioning about the state. Um, I want people to, you know, Harriet Tubman didn't have a permit. You know, and I'm not saying uh, each person has to search their own soul to determine what their level of morality in regards to the level of control that they want to give over to the state over their life. 
I just want to ask everybody to continue to have this, these challenging types of conversations. Um, this does not mean that you hate America. You hate everybody that's a law, a law enforcement officer. It just means you're reevaluating these concepts. So I want to thank everybody for having this conversation here today. And shameless plug, anybody that agreed with anything that we're talking about today, donate to everybody here's organization. Make sure you're listening to Come and Talk It. Make sure that you're supporting the Urban Sharpshooters. Make sure that you're supporting Black Guns Matter. GoFundMe.com forward slash Black Guns Matter. And Maj, uh, send me some dates so we can that we can bring you here to Austin so we can do a class. Yep. It's just simple we'll dates. All right. All right. And, and, and you know what, people, I want to make sure, you know, we understand that, you know, people talk about the National Rifle Association, how it was a civil rights organization and all this kind of stuff. And it was formed to help the black community. And well, that's a lie. You know, let's let's keep it real. The NRA was formed to help the union soldiers improve their marksmanship. Um, it's it it was and blacks were not allowed in the military, in the militia. You know, so. So you can't say that was the reason that organization was formed. Okay, that's a complete lie. And so let's get away from it. Let's look at history. Let's tell the truth about what happened in this country. Let's look at the history of gun control. It all started back in the 1600s. Indians could not have, you couldn't sell any guns to Indians. And then you couldn't repair guns from Indians. And then free slaves couldn't have access to guns. And then we started all the other Jim Crow laws. Every gun control law that we have in this country, whether 1600, 1700, 1800, all has something to do with the black community. It was all racist. As always, more guns equals less crime. You go out there and you buy yourself a gun. You've been listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 